we jump into this third commandment, and I, and I want to do so uh, with just a, a little bit of a preview, too, that these things are sequential in the sense that uh, the first ones are most important to God because they're about God. And so the first four are directly in our relationship to God, and then the rest of them are how then we flesh out our life following God with each other. And so today we're on the third one, and it's something that I think all of us have questions about. Some of the things we know uh, are just wrong in how we handle this issue, and then some things are maybe a little more gray that I want to bring some light to, and I'm going to do so through the context of asking three questions that we're going to attempt to answer. And so God is going to talk about his name. He's going to talk about the value, the intrinsic value of his name. And so maybe if you're new to the faith or new to coming to new life and you hear that, you think, well, what kind of God is that, he, that he would be obsessed with his own name? And what does that say about the character and nature of God? Uh, well, let me, let me just try to answer that through the lens of your own story. Our name has intrinsic value to primarily us. If we were to be honest, and I'll use myself as an example, how many of you like hearing your own name? All right. We're just doing a quick narcissist test, so just keep your hands. I mean, you might say no at first, but, but let's just be real. Like, I know that the newspaper is a dinosaur at this point in life, but if you pick up a newspaper and or someone comes to you and they said, hey, I was reading the local newspaper, and your name was in it today. How many of you would then go to the local gas station or Kessler's where there's like 10 extra newspapers, everyone reads coffee and talks about all the hot, juicy gossip of Aberdeen? How many of you would come with a pair of scissors because you're a Midwesterner and you're too cheap to buy your own newspaper, and uh, you would clip that thing out? How many of you have done that before? You've, you've seen yourself in the paper for maybe even the most arbitrary of reasons, and you've cut that thing out, and you've put it in your own little scrapbook. How many of you have a newspaper clipping of yourself? Okay, I don't believe that that's it. Raise your hands high. And so me, right, guilty as charged. And the funny thing about me doing that is I think, I think there's things that I've done in life that are, you know, a little bit significant, and I think pastoring is very significant, uh, but the things that I've clipped out have had meaningless significance. So uh, I remember when I was in my 20s, someone came to me, and uh, I'm just going to put myself on the chopping block. You see this thing that's yellow? This is called the newspaper, and the reason it's yellow is because I'm old. And they said, you made the paper. And I said, oh, that's cute. And I acted like it wasn't a big deal. And then I went to Kessler's because I had no money. And I looked at the day-old newspaper that they hadn't thrown away yet, and I said, can I clip this out? There's this guy that's in there, and the guy that's in there was me, okay? And it says, 2001, highlights from our past. Ben Victor, that's like my brother, that's my best friend, scored 19 points to lead four players into double figures as Trinity Bible, and so that's basically next to the NBA, Trinity Bible, uh, or it's just a hair under City League, right above Church League. Trinity Bible, 85-7, to beat Crown College. And Rodney Johnson, that's me, and Josh Perez, that was another one of my best friends that went to Trinity from California, added 16 points each, and John Mum, who I haven't talked to in 21 years, contributed 15 points, and I kept that, and I'm so humble that I stick it in my office and I look at it, <laughs> right? And I'm not exaggerating, I'm not trying to be mean, because we have Trinity students, and uh, you know, 
it's above City League kind of. I mean, we're not talking about like Northern, right? It's, it's Bible college. And so there's some decent athletes, but it's nothing that you would clip out of the paper unless, unless, look at me, unless it has your name on it. And so I kept it. And when I die, I'll be buried with it. Right? How about this one? A number of years ago, I spent the day with Luis Palau. And so I'm just like named, he's gone to be with Jesus. In fact, there's an Amazon special on him on evangelism that's really powerful. This guy was absolutely humble, absolutely amazing. And I've shared this in church before, but I have this hanging in my office. It says, Dear Pastor Rodney, it was wonderful to take the time to come uh, to Howie and Ann's place to meet with Pat and me. It was wonderful of you. Like, that's a big sacrifice for me. It was so short but so special. The enthusiasm of the group really impressed both Pat and me. We very much needed your continued prayers. The plans I presented are enormous, and we clearly need God's wisdom in the days ahead. So we were at a lake house with Luis Palau and his wife. It was great to chat with you. Perhaps I'll see you one day in Aberdeen. That never happened. Luis and Pat Palau, Psalm 20, and then he signed it, and then I framed it. And why did I frame it? Because I think he is amazing, and he did a great work for the Lord, but why did I frame it? Because it says, Dear Pastor Rodney. And so when we look at the name of God and we go, well, why would God make such a big deal out of his name? I think we need to be honest in our own inventory and say, well, how do I feel about my name? Because if I'm willing, in my own immaturity, confessed, to cut out a newspaper clipping in Aberdeen, South Dakota, of something that happened in 2001 that nobody cares about, only because, and I love Ben, he's like a brother to me, and uh, now he's an artist, and it turns out he's better at art than basketball, but, but I don't care that his name's in that paper, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, I scored 16 points. I must have value. I must have significance, because behind the name is an identity and a reputation. We all understand this. And we can play name association. So if I say Elon Musk, what do you think of? Tesla, what else? Twitter, what else? Money, 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 right? You just associate him with those things. If you say Michael Jordan, you think of basketball. If you say Tiger Woods, you think of golf. Because when we make associations to their names, their names in doing so have value. And you go, well, yeah, kind of. No, no, not kind of. I mean, it goes for the good and the bad. Like who in here would go, you know, I'm looking at baby names, and I found a few good ones, and I think we're going to go with Hitler. Right? Said no one. And like no, no one ever said, you know, we're looking at baby names, and uh, I, I can tell this kid to chip off the real old block. We're going to go with Judas. We're just going to run with Judas. I would highly encourage you not to do that because names have significance. And so if our names matter to us, then can you imagine in God's holiness what his name matters, not just to us, but to him? Because names have significance. So here's the third commandment. We're going to read it together. It's very short. We're going to have a lot of supplementary text, some of which I'll say with the verse, some of which I'll just have you look up on your own time. And we're going to do so, and we're going to answer these questions together. Exodus 27, he says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless, whoever takes his name in vain. 
And so here's the idea. It's such a big deal that there's a punishment associated with breaking this command. God's saying, my name is not just a name. My name is the name above all names. And so because it's so great, there's a consequence associated with misusing and not protecting the holiness of the name itself. And so he wants to protect his name. And he makes no apologies. And so when you don't do that, it renders judgment. There's Old Testament examples of that. David tells God, God tells David, I should say. He says, you stand in judgment because you have caused my enemies to discredit my name. In the Tower of Babel, they didn't want God's name. They wanted their own name. And then chaos ensues. And so sin will always work to replace your name with God's name. That's just the way it works. And so here's the first question. Write it down. Here's kind of the theological undertones and background. How does God specifically feel about his name? The name above all names. How does he feel about it? Well, what we know in scripture and we learn when Jesus tells us how to pray is this, that God's name is set apart, that God's name is holy. And so you can kind of just fill these things in. I've actually added some since I turned in my notes, so there's some extra credit here as well. But how does God feel about his name? Here's the first idea. And there should be an underheading to this. God's name is set apart. So there are people who are asking Jesus, well, how do we pray? And he says, well, let me tell you how to pray. And it starts with this. Our Father, who art where? In heaven. If you have a liturgical background, you have memorized this since the time you could talk, right? And that's good because this is the prayer. But when you want to know how to pray, you don't have to always repeat it, but here's the framework theologically to understand it. Our Father who is in heaven, and then what does it say next? Hallowed, hallowed be thy name. And so how does that translate? That translates holy. Holy is your name. My name is not like your name. I am not like you. You've had to save me from my sin. I'm a sinner. You're God. You're perfect. And then you've made me into your image through the miracle of the gospel. But my starting point is I do not have the holiness that you have. I'm a sinner. You have to take your holiness and place it on me. And then the word holy even goes further, and the way it breaks down is it's set apart. It's set apart. No one gets God's name but God. If you want to commit blasphemy real quick, have a child, name him Jesus, right? Don't, don't ever do that. Because Jesus is the name above all names. He is not a name. He is the name. There's only one God. So God's name is set apart. Here's another one. God's name is to be valued and to be protected. God's name is unique. It's one of a kind. It can't be replicated. And so you can't control what everyone else does with the name of God. And, And I don't know if you're, I mean, obviously we know how this works, right? People throw it around like it's worth five cents. They blaspheme it like it's nothing. And we live in a culture, and we'll get into this in a little bit, that takes the name of God that is the name above all names, and it just puts it so low. And here's what's so scary, and I'll cover this in just a second. It doesn't just put us on our level. The name of God isn't just on our level. It stands below us. And God's saying, no, my name's set apart. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy bill be done. I'm in charge. I create the script. I put the stars into place. I know every hair on your head. I am the sovereign Lord of not some but all. So then the actual overflow to that is that God's name is to be valued and God's name is to be protected. 
God's name, write this down, this is on a slide for you. God's name is to be worshipped. Worshipped. And so we come into this place, we prepare our hearts for communion. And, and the church isn't a building, right? The church isn't a building, it's a people. But the church is a people that then come together, and when you do something collectively, it has power. And so we collectively lift up the name of Jesus, and then hopefully throughout the week we're lifting up the name of Jesus, but we collectively lift up his name to worship him and exalt him. Psalm 34 says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. God's name deserves and demands to be exalted, adored, and celebrated. And so we give genuine recognition to his name through an exalted status in our interactions, thoughts, and our prayer life. And here's what's so cool. That when you're worshiping the name above all names, when you know more about the person, or when you know more about God, then you have a better chance of worshiping with more significance because there's a weight to the worship because you actually know the attributes and character of the God that you worship. Here's another idea that God's name is to be taken seriously. That there's a reverence to it that's lost in the world around us. It's to be taken seriously. Psalm 29, describe to the Lord the glory due his name. So God, in essence, is saying, I need some props. That's my old school slang because I'm from the 90s, props. Do we still say that? right? There's a weight to me that I'm not like you. And so there's a reverence to the process. God's name is to be taken seriously. Glory is a common word in the Bible. And to give glory to something or to recognize something that has glory, which God, we give all glory to God. Some theological positions really hone in on that. Uh, But we do so, and it's defined by weight. And so God is saying, I'm weighty. And so then there are things that we do that are wrong. Anyone a fan of the Christian t-shirt business? Like, uh, you've had, like, at least five Christian t-shirts. You went to Lifelight, right? I think it still exists, but it used to be everywhere. Like it was Abercrombie and Fish. And uh, then there was this other, sh- and then you're like, well, what's wrong with that? I'm not saying anything wrong with that. I personally think it's cheesy, but you do you, right? And so um, another one would be this, and this one to me was insulting. I remember this when I was in youth ministry, and I don't get insulted easily. Like things kind of like this don't really bother me, but this one always rubbed me wrong. I don't know if you remember or not, but there was a picture of Jesus, and some of those pictures had him like in a backwards hat. And do you remember what it said? It said, Jesus is my homeboy. Who remembers that? For me, I'm thinking, that's just weird. Because Jesus is a, is a friend, and Jesus loves you. But, but even statements like, you know, and I think our hearts are right, hopefully, when we say it. But we, we look at Jesus, and we minimize his value. And we're like, oh, the big man upstairs. i got to talk to the big man upstairs. And it just feels like there's a little bit of a lack of reverence for that type of tone. His name is to be taken seriously. So seriously that in the Old Testament specifically, it's never, you know, God is my homeboy. It's, it's God, you are holy. God, you deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. And so the idea is in the Old Testament when big things would happen, God would actually take his name and use it to invade our lives. So, so the whole idea of this name of God, Jehovah Jireh, is uh, the Lord will provide. And it's used by Abraham when God provides in his life. And so he invades with his name the circumstance of your plight. He speaks right into it. David said, the Lord is my what? This is like, show, we're going to all do this together. The Lord is my shepherd. 
What did David do before he slayed Goliath? What was he? He was a shepherd, and so he's connecting those real realities of life between the nature of God and the way that God has affected him. David gets into the biggest battle of his life. He fights a giant, and he says to the giant, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel. And so he puts God on display in this powerful way in his life because God's name has meaning and significance, and God invades with that name. And then here's the last part of the first question. God's name, how does God view it? He tells us right in verse 7, Exodus 20, he says, my name is not to be taken in vain. And so that needs definition. And how many of you fully understand what that means? I don't even know if I'm there yet, but I've been learning and I've been listening. In fact, if you want some excellent supplementary teaching that I gleaned from this week, there is a African-American pastor named Tony Evans, who's on Right Now Media. His daughter is Priscilla Schreier. This guy is unbelievable, and he's theologically just spot on. And he was schooling me on this text this week. So this idea is pretty complicated, but he says, my name is not to be taken in vain. My name is to be protected. He's concerned about the supremacy of his name. He wants to be valued and protected, Tony Evans says, not defamed and abused. And so what is the definition of it? You can write this down if you write things down so you can better understand when you walk out of here. But the word vain would include without purpose, wasteful, empty, frivolous, and that which has no significance. So what God tells us is this, don't use my name in that light or there are going to be consequences. Because I stand alone. And through your words, deeds, actions, understand that you are to look at my name and worship it. And it has intrinsic value because names mean something. And then the second question then becomes this. Well, then how do we take God's name in vain? This is the big one. This is the big one. Because if God says there's a consequence to doing this, and it's littered in the Old Testament and the New Testament, then we need to have you know, like learning time together and go, so if this is what God says not to do, if this is so valuable to him, and I'm starting to learn even through the use of my own name why this has so much value, then I want to make sure if I love Jesus that I'm not even flirting with the boundaries of this area of my life. I want to have reverence for God in the way that he commands. How do I take the name of the Lord in vain? Well, here's one thing we do. It's not something we say, it's something we do. We take his name And then we place it under our authority, and then we talked about this through the years at New Life. We take his name, who it should be the name above all names, and then it's not just that we make it equal with our own name, but we place it under our name. We take his morality and we place it under our morality. And so if God says something in his word that we agree with because we're in charge, then we pat him on the back and we say, you know what, that's a good rule, that's a good moral stance on uh, the definition of marriage and, and, and how life works and, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, or whatever that is, we say, well, that I agree with. And so, God, I'm going to give you a thumbs up because ultimately I'm an authority, and I just want to thank you so much for finally seeing what I already understood. Man, the lightning bolts can come very close when you start talking and thinking like that. And so we lack significance in our reverence for his name when we put his name under our authority. When the Bible says every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, not to your name, 
not to your truth, not to your standards. No one ever is going to bow before the name of Rodney, and if they did, they'd be a fool, right? They'd be a fool for all sorts of reasons, but mainly because I'm not God, and I am way off that target. And so it creates this autonomy with God that's so dangerous that he is either equal to or below us. And then we become the biggest imposters of all time when we make this statement with our actions that somehow we are in charge and that we are God. It's like we're forging his name. We're taking these rules and guidelines of life and then we're signing off on the check. That has legal consequence. God's name is not under us or with us. It is above us. How else do we do this? These are bullet points. These are all beyond there. Well, the way that we take his name in vain, according to the definition given, is we defame his name. This is also an action, less than maybe even a word. I used to watch award shows for like 10 minutes when I was little. Because I wanted to see, you know, MC Hammer or someone really cool like that. And then I got older how many of you watch award shows anymore? Does it fall under the who cares category for you? <laughs> I think that's cultural too. I don't just think that that's, you know, I'm more mature than that. I just don't think most people care anymore. Uh, but they used to be a really big deal and like, you know, the Oscar would go to, and I know some people still watch that. Uh, but there are ways that people publicly defame the name of Christ. And, and they use his name in such a dismissing, undermining tone. And they do it with their lifestyle. And so like uh, maybe an athlete would do something. They would defame the name of God, but specifically musicians. And so um, maybe, you know, pick your famous artist before you got saved where you thought they were just right next to the Lord and, and all their thoughts were wise and all their insignificant lyrics were meaningful. And then you got saved and you realized, well, I still like the, the, the tune of the song. And I, it's not that I would never listen to anything, but I definitely recognize that they're wrong and their theological position and how they write their lyrics is just way, way off. And uh, things you know once you come to Christ, but then you realize this through the mind of Christ, and so you'll have people like rappers, entertainers, they'll get up, and then they'll thank God, and this is what it means to defame his name. They'll thank God for the very thing they use to compromise his name with. They'll thank God for this lifetime achievement ward that has been paved in sin all throughout the process. And so it's a form of, it's, it's flirting with the idea of blasphemy, but it's taking his name in vain because it's thrown us around so casually and so scary. And God is telling his church that he is not a fan. He is not a fan of us bringing his name into something that he doesn't associate with and that even repulses his name. How, how do we take his name in vain? Write this one down. I know this is a little bit like a lecture today, but I just think it's important. Well, one of the ways that we do that is we abuse it. And so this isn't for some musician on an award store. This is for everyone sitting in every seat or listening online or listening downtown. This one's for all of us. It's not for some of us. And if you tell me you've never done anything like this, I probably don't believe you. Things don't go your way. You get cut off in traffic. Your spouse, not my spouse, your spouse drives you crazy. Your tyrant toddler children will not stop screaming in the middle of a grocery store. Are we awake? 
You get pulled over by a cop and all you were doing is 15 over and they're just so selfish for pulling you over. Or maybe super important things like you missed that shot in City League. And then, of course, I'm not going to say it, but we abuse his name and we get upset and we get emotional and we get selfish. And I'm not saying everyone has said this, and hopefully you never will, or once you're saved, you know, this is something you work on and that you grow out of this in the Lord. But you say, God, in a different context, not hallowed be thy name, but God, and then, you know, the capital D next to it. Are you tracking? That in your own impulsivity and selfishness, you would have the audacity to abuse the name above all names and to damn the name that has the very power to damn you. Guilty. And the fact that this would even be a temptation is an evidence in my own life that it's supernatural because who would ever want to damn God? If for nothing else than for selfish motivation, that that's just a scary thing to navigate through. But it's supernatural because for some reason it's tempting when our defenses are low. I mean, as a parent, I would never want to damn my child. My child does something wrong. It's not like I would say, you know, I'm not going to, it sounds like I'm swearing, so I want to be careful here. I'm not going to damn them to some, you know, eternal consequence. No, I'm going to forgive them and nurture them and try to walk through with them and show them what the Word of God says in that area of their life. If I'm firing on all cylinders and being the dad God's called me to be, I would never damn my own child, but yet in my own arrogance, in my own anger, in my own immaturity, I will actually throw something like that around at previous points in my life when I'm frustrated over something as stupid as missing a shot in basketball or getting a warning ticket or whatever. And when we do so, we take his name in vain. Here's another way. We make false promises in his name. Write that down. And the Bible's so clear about this one. James talks about it. Matthew talks about it. Leviticus 19.12 talks about it. It says, you shall never swear by name falsely in Levitical laws, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And so how do we swear falsely in his name? And James talks about this. He says, don't even go, don't even bring God into this when you swear. I'm not talking about profanity anymore. I'm talking about when you, when you swear or promise to, don't, don't throw God into it because that's so weighty. Man, what if you're wrong? What if you think you're going to do something and, and then you don't live up to it? And you say, I swear to, to God. It's a dangerous territory. When you use God's name to validate a point or affirm yourself, God's saying, don't use my name in a way that's wasteful. Don't be throwing around my name. Don't use it in a way that's insignificant. Don't swear by my name falsely. Here's the last one before the third question. Here's another one. This one's big. I heard this from someone else. I like this one. I never thought of it. You take God's name in vain, and this is from Matthew chapter 7, when you use his name with false pretense. When you use his name with false pretense, and then the idea would be from Matthew 7 when Jesus is talking, and he says to the crowd, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so we use his name with false pretense. When we use his name, not for him, but for us. 
Not everyone who invokes my name is going to get into heaven because some are using my name with false pretense. And so here's the definition. False pretense is when your words and your works aren't congruent. When your words and your works aren't congruent, when there's a massive disconnect, all of a sudden now it's fake. It's a false pretense. It's built on a life of pretending. It's wanting all the benefits of God with none of the commitment. We take God's name in vain when we do this. And so another word of saying is being pharisaical. When you act like somebody that you are not. You know, praise Jesus. And then your personal life looks totally different. Monday through Saturday looks way different than Sunday. False pretense. Uh, th- there are ways that this happens all over the spectrum. I'll give you two examples. One, one would be, you know, like in my mind, I think of a kind of a pharisaical conservative Christian that, that, that votes in a way that is, you know, of a, of a certain way that, that holds a, a biblical worldview. And you're like, well, well, I agree with that. And I agree with that because I'm conservative. You know, this is an evangelical church. But then you see them in their life outside of that setting, and it's like nothing lines up with every way that they vote, think, and act. And then they come to this place, and they shake the right hands, and they have the right small talk, and it's like, oh, yeah, that guy's a Christian. You know, they have their business card with a Jesus fish on it, and then they rip everyone off. Or maybe even a more extreme example would be You know, we don't get too into politics here, but every time someone runs for office, no matter the political fence, they tend to bring God into it. You'll find that in every walk of the political arena, that it doesn't matter if they're voting on the right or the left. It's like they have some context of God that they want to share their faith with you because it's pretense, it's not real, because they want to then motivate you to think that they're somebody, even if they haven't lived that own lifestyle out, and then you learn more about them, you go, man, they are not anything like the way that they're projecting themselves to be. I mean, the most extreme examples I was reading this week about a politician in a meeting in Iowa who got up and prayed this exact prayer. He said this at an abortion rally. He says, we give thanks, O Lord, for the doctors, both current and future, who provide quality abortion care. Thank you, God, for murdering babies. I don't want to be controversial for controversial sake. I'm not trying to, like, say something just to have some sticking power. I, I, I'm getting older. I mean, th- there's right and there's wrong, amen? There's right and there's wrong. That's just wrong. And it's like, thank you, oh, God. This is the church I go to. This is what I associate with. Thank you. It's not just, you know, well, I don't agree with that, but there are other things I agree with. This political position in this guy's life is just simply, thank you, God, under my false pretense, for endorsing, we want to just lift up those murderers to you. That is scary. And it's built on false pretense. And then when you're built on false pretense, you can start flirting so closely to blasphemy. So here's the last question. What does it look like to value God's name? How do we value God's name? And this is where Tony Evans comes into it because he had uh, a sermon that I listened to with with a a few points at the end of it that I liked so much I want to share with you. Well, how do we value God's name in a way that we don't blaspheme it? Tony Evans says this, well, we wear his name. We we take it seriously and then we we wear it. It's like our clothes that we put on. We, We wear his name. Paul, the apostle, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way that we wear God's name is we're willing to be associated with the name. 
And we're not ashamed. Those things where we uh, you know, know that we're in the hot seat for believing as Christians, we go, you know, all throughout history there have been things that have been divisive, and, and we don't want to be divisive for divisive sake, and we want to find common ground with people to win them over to Christ. But there are times where, like the issue I just discussed, we need to take it, and we need to own it, and we need to say this is right and this is wrong. And when the world pushes back on us, we wear his name because he died for us first. And looking at this through the lens of a marriage analogy, how bad would it hurt a husband because men's primary economy is built on respect, but how bad would it hurt a husband uh, to be married to a woman who said, I want to marry you, but I don't want your name. I don't want others to call me by your name. I don't want to be associated with your name. Let's just have this secret ceremony, but, but let's not let everyone think that I actually look at you with that type of regard. Uh, maybe some men are okay with it, but not most. How bad would it hurt if a woman said, I want my own name? It's like rejection. It's an insult. And so looking that through the lens of Jesus, are we ashamed of the name of Christ? Will we bear it? Are we ashamed of his teachings? Are we ashamed of his expectations that he places on us? We wear his name. And then Evan said this, just old school Baptist preacher. He says, we wear his name. And you know how everything rhymes when you get into that arena? <laughs> he says, we wear his name. They're all going to rhyme, just so you know. And then he says, we don't just wear his name, we bear his name. And he said it with way more soul than that. And I got goosebumps. He says, when we are called to wear his name, there will be times when we're also called to then bear his name. And so then that's taking the ante up. We bear his name, and we were, are rejected like Christ. We are treated poorly like Christ. We're an outcast like Christ, and that's what we do because that's what Christ already did for us, and that's what happened to the early church, and that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. And so uh, it's not going to happen. Here, here's a little caveat. If you're like, well, I need to wear his name, and I need to bear his name. Here, here's how you get an exemption that's not good. This doesn't just happen. In fact, you can talk about God all day long, publicly. I get called on to speak at things and, and pray for things periodically, uh, and there's really no controversy in doing that. So last time I'm in a basketball game, and, and, you know, Rodney, will you pray? And it's a Christian environment, so I can say whatever I want. And, you know, and then Monday I'm talking to the police officers and, and uh, the firefighters at this banquet and the, and the highway patrol, and then it gets a little stickier, right? And so uh, you have to wear his name, and then you have to bear his name. But when you bear his name, know this, it's not going to have any consequence if you leave his name out. And so if you just say, God, you're, you're clear. Oh, God of hosts, you got to go to the hospital prayers. Are you familiar? It's like all of a sudden someone comes on the hospital speaker, and it's, oh, God of hosts, we just thank you for this day, and thank you for all of us being nice to each other. Amen. No one cares. And then you get up there, and you say, Jesus, thank you for being the only way to die for our sins, raised from death, be the substitutionary atonement for my sin. Now all of a sudden, I thank you for, for not being a way to get to heaven, but the way, and apart from you, there's no other way. And then, you know, like, I mean, just fill in the blank. When you start throwing Jesus around, now all of a sudden you're bearing his name in a different light. You're bearing it in a way, in a way that can be perceived as bigotry. Acts 5.42, I'm closing. Praise me if you can come back up. When they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. 
And then they let the presence of the council rejoice in that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the name of Jesus Christ. They are bearing his name. Colossians 3.17 says, we honor his name. That's where the power is at. That's what takes new life, and then it starts multiplying. Even if it's controversial, we do so in love, and we see the fruit of God using us through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I just told you that story. I'll close in prayer now in just a second. But I had an opportunity to do that Monday. I want to share something we can celebrate together as a church as we close. Christmas Eve, we weren't real public about it because we knew it was a kind of a complicated weekend with no church on publicly on Sunday, just on Saturday. But we knew we were going to take a piece of our offering that you guys gave. And you guys were very generous on Christmas Eve. And we were going to give it to police officers and firefighters, and first responders, highway patrolmen, and women, and total there was 115 of them, and what we're going to do is with other churches together, we were going to take gift baskets and have a $100 bill in every single one of them, and so some of you received that gift, and we were going to couple that with a, a dinner from 322, and we got Jake and his wife involved in that, and uh, and then we were also going to, to have, you know, just like a comedy routine to tell them that, you know, we love them and thank them for what they do in the community. And then the closer was I got to share the gift, and, and then I got to share the why. And, and we stood up. There's a few hundred people, and it's intimidating. They're all in uniform. And it's mostly intimidating because I was thinking in my room, I think that person gave me a warning ticket, that person gave me a warning ticket, that person gave me a warning ticket. And I'm going, like, one of our elders is a highway patrol guy. And I'm like, oh, this is awkward. And so I publicly confessed my sin before them. But then I said to them, I said, man, the reason we are first just honoring first responders is because it means something specific to us. Because you go out and you respond, but you don't just respond. You respond first. You respond with sacrifice. You respond at all hours of the night. You respond by giving yourself. This is the banquet itself. And they had a awards ceremony at the banquet, too. And I had just like this little window where I went off cuff and I said, the reason you need to hear this is because we want to do this. The pastors and the churches and the community want to honor you. I mean, who wouldn't want to honor you? All the businesses could have taken this by the helm, but the pastors and the churches wanted to do it because Jesus Christ is our first responder. And you do something symbolically that Jesus does for all of us, and I know that you have you know, in a, in a literal sense, saved physical lives, but you need to know that Jesus Christ has saved your life if you lay your life down at his feet and at the foot of the cross and you pick it up and you follow him. He can bring you from death to life. And it was crystal clear and it was pin drop. And what I know about people that are in that line of work is they don't like fluff, so you just have to tell them how it is. It's a great spot for someone to land at new life. And so we just did, and they were very thankful but the way we bring honor to his name is we have these moments, maybe they're public, maybe they're one-on-one, where he, we bear the name of Christ and then we share it and we say, God is so good. And God sent his son to save me, redeem me, and transform me, and I want that same for you. The name of God is weighty. And it's a big deal, and it is the only name to be worshipped. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you and you alone. And Jesus, we lift up this time and we set it apart because your name is set apart. And we ask you to use it 
for your glory. We thank you for your name. We thank you for who you are in our lives. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen.